Everything we do affects those around us. Everything. The older people are to touch, teach the younger. The more experienced in walking in Christ are to teach those who are young in their faith. Each of us have a role to, of making God real to someone else. Got your Bibles? Turn to the book of Titus. I'm excited to get back into Titus. Took a break from it for Christmas, but uh, I'm, I'm really excited to get back into it. And Happy New Year, by the way. Thank you for joining us this morning on this last day of 2023. And I want to get in here too. Okay. You know, very few of us really enjoy being told what to do. My kids don't like being told what to do. They think they know what they're supposed to do. So their mother and I have to continually remind them about what they're supposed to do. Our first parents didn't like being told what to do. Adam and Eve, they were given an amazing gift. They were given everything that was in all of the, all of the garden. They could eat anything they want. They had purpose. They had companionship. They, in the morning, in the cool of the morning, Jesus, or God, Jesus, I think Jesus was there too. God would walk with them. Had everything. But there was one thing they couldn't do, and that was eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The variety of the sources of food was abundant. They had everything, everything they could have wanted. And even in, with the warning that God gave them, they still, they still decided that they just could not resist that fruit of that one tree. Are we really any different? As I'm looking forward, to the, or forward into the new, next year and, and thinking about things, and I'm like, are we really any different than Adam and Eve? We're a consumer society. We just got done finishing Christmas. I can imagine what the numbers are going to be about the money, amount of money that was spent on Christmas this year. We want that just like we talked about before. What one more thing. I want one more thing. We want what we want because we think we deserve it. Without even thinking of the consequences that it causes us and also what it causes others and those around us. The last time we were in Titus, back in November, uh, Paul identified the negative actions of the people in Crete. He was talking about, he was in Crete, he was writing to Titus. And he's talking about, he's talking about the problems. And he's talking about what they are, the problems that they're having in the community, how the whole community is being affected by these few people who are doing things they shouldn't be doing, causing whole households to be disrupted. Because remember, church was in the home. It wasn't in a building that was separated from the home. It was done in different homes in different towns. They saw the fruit that was forbidden, and the people who decided they would like it, they wanted it, they took it. No matter what, how it, who it affected around them. See, the, the thing about it is, is that none of us live in a vacuum. Every Everything we do has a consequence. Everything we say matters. Every thought we have matters. And that's especially true in the church community. What we're going through affects what all of us go through. When there are issues within the community, we all are affected. But that is the beauty of being involved in a healthy church. 
And a healthy church is not determined by its size. There are some rather large churches that are unhealthy. See, because in a healthy church, you can actually share with each other your struggles, your victories. But in order for a church community to function for the benefit of everyone involved, there are certain things that must happen. There are certain actions that we all should take. There are certain things, certain ways that we all should live in order for a church, for a community to be healthy. And there are many things in that case then we must avoid. So we're going to see today as we dig into the second chapter of Titus is that while other churches may be teaching what is wrong, we must, by contrast, teach what is sound. No matter what the pressure is from the outside world, no matter what the culture tells us, no matter what's happening from our society, or even from our leadership within the denominations, if they're not telling us to teach what is sound doctrine. So let's go to Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 1. This is Paul writing to Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Well, obviously the first question is, what is sound doctrine? Now, there are a lot of doctrines in the modern church that many of us will say are anything but sound. So we need to understand that sound doctrine is not a matter of opinion. To Paul, because that is what we have to go by, what the scriptures say, what Paul wrote. To Paul, sound doctrine refers to teachings that have been passed on and approved by the apostles. This would have been the 12 apostles, or 11 12 if you count Matthias, I mean, because he was added afterwards. But they are the, what was taught by Jesus, handed down to the 12 apostles, and then handed down to us through church leadership. Teachings that are meant to guard and to guide the church. I, I, have, I have this fear in, uh, in, for churches today, and for even for our denomination, that there are leaders within our denomination who do not want to teach sound doctrine who want to teach what tickles people's ears because it's popular. I've always told you, I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to tell you the truth. You don't like it? If I make you upset, then I'm sorry. I didn't do it. The Holy Spirit did, and the Bible did. His Word did, not me. We saw back in November in Titus chapter 1, he says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He's talking about elders because Titus was to appoint elders. He's saying that person must be trustworthy in the word as it was taught. Not as his opinion is, but it was taught so that he may be able to give instruction in that sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Satan wants nothing more than to contradict our doctrine. If he, could, if he could cut out our doctrine, if he can get us to disbelieve and to change our doctrine, he cuts off our feet and the feet of the church. We can be sure of that from Paul's letters that sound doctrine includes teaching in the nature of salvation by faith alone, unconditional grace, and living a life that reflects the godliness that such grace should be producing within us. But Paul doesn't just want him doesn't want Titus just to teach sound doctrine. He wants him to teach doctrine, not only the doctrine, but what accords with sound doctrine. What accords means these things that are what builds up that doctrine. He wants, you know, you could teach somebody that, you know, you are saved by grace and by faith alone. That's a doctrine. 
We can teach that Jesus, died, Jesus was fully God, fully human, died on a cross, rose again, and then that's doctrine. But what difference does it make? What accords with that is what are we supposed to do with it? How are we supposed to, how is that supposed to affect our lives? Titus is to teach those under his care what their lifestyle should look like. So what should I, you know, this is a great time to be teaching this. I, 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 many times I wonder why I preach what I preach when I look at it, I'm like, oh, it's the beginning of the year. Many people like to make New Year's resolutions. We, we need to be living this way that Paul is going to teach. This is how we should be. And what a great time to make sure we're doing that. It's not just about understanding doctrine. It's about applying it into our lives. James tells us this. He tells us this in James 1. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. He says, don't just listen. Do something with it. You know, if I teach my kids something, and they may know how to do it, but if they never do it, what good is it? I could teach Caleb how to mow the lawn, and I could teach Abigail how to ride the tractor. But if I never let them mow the lawn and ride the tractor and drive the tractor to mow the lawn, what good is it to me? Oh, they got to do something fun, but I still have to mow the lawn and I still have to drive the tractor to mow the lawn. If you're going to hear the word, you got to do it. And people say, I just can't. Yes, you can. It is a choice. You make the right decisions and you do the right things. It's, it's, I know temptation is hard, but you've got to be doers of the word. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he, is, he was like. Sometimes I want to forget what I look like. <laughs> Especially early in the morning when I get up and I've had enough sleep. I don't want to see that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about when you look at yourself and you look at yourself intently. And then you walk away and you don't remember any of it. It's like going to church, hearing a message... And, and it's good message, and it's, it's biblical, and it's all about the Bible, and you walk away, and it makes no difference. What good is it? But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. God's word should change us. That's why we want you to get into the word this year, uh, between now and Easter, especially, and hopefully that continues afterwards. But that's why we're giving you these reading plans because we need you to listen, read it and it needs to change you. We need to talk about it. If you have questions, let me know. We'll talk about it. I love talking about it. All true believers are expected to have their faith reflected in their conduct, in what they do. And their context is affirmed and affirms their faith. See, if what Paul is dealing with in Crete, and we looked at this back in November, if it happened in the apostolic church, the apostolic church is not the one that's down in Bluffton, the, apost- the true apostolic church is the church of the apostles, the church that was in existence when the apostles were still alive, all the way to the point where John dies. He was the last apostle, the last of the twelve who lived, died of old age. If, you, if you're interested, Beth has a list. I gave her a list of how all of the apostles passed away. And John was the oldest. He died of old age, we believe. If it happened then, when the apostles were still alive, it is certainly happening in our churches today. The fallen nature of people in the church is always going to create significant challenges to those who want to teach how to live with sound doctrine. And I think today it's even worse. 
Because there's so many ways with social media, it's so easy. I put something out and I get kicked back right away. Because somebody says that they don't like the way that sounds. Or they, they, it has, it, they don't like how they feel if I tell them that. Do you know that there's, within the church, I'm gonna, in our small group, this, I haven't told everybody this yet, we've got to watch a video. And, and they're, they're teaching in some of the churches that now you can't say that somebody's a sinner and that if they don't repent, they're going to hell. What do you mean I can't say it? Well, it makes them feel bad. Yeah, they should. Now, granted, I'm telling you, I'm not perfect. I sin, and, and I struggle with that, and I, I, I constantly live a life of repentance. But to not tell someone the truth is more hateful than telling them, to not tell them the truth is more hateful than telling them the truth. But that's where the churches are going. But what he's dealing with, and the fallen nature that we deal with, We've got to teach sound doctrine. I want us to give you. I want to give you a brief list again of what Paul was preaching against and teaching against to kind of refresh our memory, since it's been uh, about a month and a half since we've actually talked about this. He's talking about in the church there are empty talkers. These are people who say a lot but really say nothing. They talk a lot but say nothing. They're empty talkers and deceivers, insubordinate, um, looking for shameful gain. They're liars, lazy, gluttons, following the myths and teachings of those who turn from the truth. That's happening a lot. I was just watching a video this morning about that happening. And Satan is more crafty than ever. He's, He's using things that people think are good. In reality, they're not. They're disobedient and they're hypocrites. So the question is, how do we counter these issues of the church? Well, we've got to teach the sound doctrine and what actions we should take in order to live lives that reflect God's grace in our lives. So we need to teach sound doctrine. And that is what Paul's going to challenge Titus to do. So he's going to go through this list. Now, he goes through the list and he's, he's partitioning people by age. And so I'm not going to, I have not sat and said, well, I know that Ross is one of the older men, so he doesn't have to listen to what I say about the younger women or the women or the young women. You know, because in the reality is, folks, we have to do all these things. We all should be living all these things. But Titus does break it down this way. So let's look at the first one. The first one being older men. What are older men supposed to do? How are they supposed to live? So Paul tells Titus, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. This this idea of being sober-minded basically means you're not known to be going to extremes. That's a hard one. (laughs) Because sometimes we go to extremes. Our emotions are blown like the wind, like the grass and the wind, back and forth. We need to be sober-minded. Now, we each have our moments when our emotions are running wild, and, but as mature Christian men, we must not swing from these two different extremes. We shouldn't be one way at church and then a different way at home. That's swinging huge extremes. We shouldn't be a different way at home, the same way at the church, and then a different way on the job site. The word dignified used here comes from the Greek word semnos. And it means acting in a way that is worthy of being honored and respected. I'm a a true believer in honoring our elders, honoring people who are older than me. But I also am of firm belief that you must earn it. 
Just because you, you were lucky enough to live to your really old doesn't mean you deserve. There are a lot of old people out there. No, no offense to any of the older, more mature people in this, in this congregation right now. There are a lot of old people out there who are not worthy of respect. Because they're not living the way they should. But when we have somebody who is, who follows, we need to respect them. and We need to honor them. But this idea of semnos means being, being, being worthy of being honored. Not just because of your age, but because of who you are inside. Peter tells us in 1 Peter, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Meaning, when Christ comes back, you need to be shown as being honorable so that the Gentiles, those that don't believe, will be disgraced. And we'll say, yeah, we saw them do that. That's, we were wrong. But an honorable lifestyle is not only to be lived so that non-believers say it. Because Paul taught the church at Philippi in, in Philippians 4. He told them, finally, brothers, like our verse today from our call to worship, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I, I want you to understand that it's not just about thinking about it because acting in a dignified way begins by thinking in a dignified way. Notice that it's talking about thinking dignified and thinking in an honorable way. Because it's not about the heart because we know, according to Jeremiah, the heart's deceitful. It's not about how I feel. It's about how I think. And Paul says, think about these things because if you think about them, then you will do them and you'll be them. We need to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ and be self-controlled. See, if we're self-controlled, we're prudently guarding our desires. We're, we're controlling and curbing our desires and our impulses. I, I found that a lot of times, uh, this, this, this week, Beth and I were having a conversation with Abigail about this. Because Beth said one thing. And, and she never said it was definitive, but then she later changed her mind and decided to go in a different direction. And Abel Scala says, well, you lied. You lied. It's like, no, she didn't. Because at that moment, she was thinking impulsive. Beth was thinking impulsively. She was feeling a certain way. But then as she thought about it and, more, and reason came into it, she's like, no, maybe we should. And it wasn't a big thing. It was just a minor thing. But maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we're going to continue the path wrong because that's the right path. We need to think about these things. If we're not self-controlled, the writer of Proverbs gives us a picture of what it's going to be like. It says in Proverbs 25, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. You see, all the cities back then had walls to protect them. And when you're not self-controlled, your walls are broken down. And if your walls are broken down, anybody and anything can come in. We'll follow anything. We'll fall for the lies and the deceit that are all around us. And what, what causes, what enables mature men in Christ to be sober-minded, to be dignified and self-controlled? It's their lives that are directed by faith, love, and steadfastness. So faith is a personal relationship with God. That means that you, you talk to God, you know God, you seek God, you spend time with him. 
So I had to ask you older men, how is your relationship with God? Do you love others more than yourself? And I don't just mean your family. Because love also describes our, our relationship with others. Are you steadfast? It is, it, steadfastness is describing our ability to endure. Or do we crumble under pressure? Do we endure for the sake of our relationships with God and with others, especially when we face opposition and trials? Are we standing firm and steadfast? Mature Christianity is defined by this commitment to maintenance of both the vertical to God and the horizontal to each other. And that happens in the Christian community. So men, I challenge you, older men, and as I said, we all have to do this to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Now, if we're going to talk about the older men, we need to talk about the older women. Older women, he says, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slavers, much slavers, slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. This word reverent means to act in a way that doesn't just honor you, but honors God. Do you act in a way that honors God? See, the Greek hearers of this letter would understand that Paul was saying that a mature Christian woman should demonstrate holiness in her heart that shows in what she does and how close she is to God. See, the first behavior that Paul says is counter to reverent behavior is slander. Because he says, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. This Greek word is, I love the Greek word for this because there's a lot of meaning in it. Diabolos. It's diabolos. Diablo. Diablo, by the way, is demon in Spanish. Diablo. Diabolos is actually the Greek word for slander. It means to attack the reputation of another by slander or by libel. Or in other words, to gossip to say things that are false, or even if they are true, to say it in a way that belittles the person you're talking about. It's one thing to go to that person and say, you know, I love you and I have this concern for you and this is what I'm seeing in your life. That's not gossip. But when you go to their friend and you talk about them, or you go to other friends and talk, and we've had problems in churches, this one included, with gossip. And it, it, it will not be tolerated. It cannot be tolerated. It is not keeping with being reverent. Gossip is one of the most deadly poisons in the church. Jesus warned the church. He says in in James, James warned the church. In James 4, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, what he's talking about, he's not saying that we're not supposed to go to a brother when we sin, because Paul talks about it in other places. However, we know that a brother is sinning. We need to go to them and confront them in love with the goal of redemption and restoration. But we don't go and talk to our other friends about him and the sin that they're committing. We don't judge them that way. We confront in love and compassion. 
This is what the writer of Proverbs says and how we are to deal with with gossip. He says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Hmm. Don't associate with him. Somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you got to hear this. Jesus, this is really cool. This is juicy, juicy information. Say, I don't want to hear it. You, if, you have a, if, you want, if you want to tell somebody, you go tell the person you're talking about. I don't want to hear it because that's gossip. But too many times we like to hear gossip. Too many times people in the church will be caught up in the babble that destroys relationships and ultimately destroys the church. The second behavior that Paul addresses is drunkenness. But Paul's definition goes way beyond just drinking too much wine. Paul is relating this to the lack of control in both appetite and behavior. What, what do we indulge in? I, I always believe there needs to be a balance. And believe me, my life is not always in balance. But there needs to be a balance. Sugar is good. I mean, it's great. But too much of it can be bad. Indolent behavior among women in the Greco-Roman society was very common. The society that Paul is writing in, the women were very into, they were very much into following the, the craziness of the culture and, wreaking, and causing damage and, and, the, and the credibility of the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ was, was in danger because of the actions of the women. But men, we must understand that our behavior should influence the behavior not only of those in our family, but of those of the women in the church. See, like I said, remember, none of us live in a vacuum. If the men in the church are not doing what they're supposed to do, the women probably won't either. And if the women do, that's why women are put in leadership. When in reality, Scripture says women should not be leaders in the church, meaning they should not be pastors in the church. And I hold to that. But I also hold to the fact that the Holy Spirit can do what he wishes. I always say that because he has, I know there are a lot of women who are very good leaders. There are a lot of women who could be pastors. But that's up to the Holy Spirit, not up to me. We must understand we, our behavior matters. It affects those around us. The reputation of both men and women must promote the power of the gospel to change lives. And to do this, mature women in Christ must teach what is good. Just as men should teach what is good. Good teaching leads to more good teaching and good conduct. So we've talked about the men. We've talked about the old, older men, the older women. Now we're going to talk about the young women. And I'm not saying who's in this category. You decide if you fit in this category. Verse 4. And so, and this is what he's, he's, remember, he just talked to the older women. He says, and so train the young women. So right there he's saying, the older women should train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Older women are to have a positive influence on the younger women in the church. They are to model what it means to be a good wife, a good mother, a good woman. Now, let me just say this. What I'm going to share is not culturally, politically correct. Our culture will tear this apart. But, again, it's what the Bible says. 
Just as Titus is challenged by Paul to teach sound doctrine, as a pastor, I must also teach what Scripture says, the truth of Scripture. And the truth of Scripture cannot and must not be guided by our culture. Our culture cannot dictate what, our, what the Scripture says. Scripture needs to dictate our culture. In the culture that Titus was leading, marriages were formal. They were arranged. A woman would, who would deeply fall in love with her husband would stand out as representing the gospel. It wasn't common. You did not, fall, you did not marry someone because you loved them. It was an arranged marriage in the Roman world, usually for political reasons. For Paul, the greatest priority in the life of a young woman was to get married and to take care of their family. And within this, Paul places a hierarchy of commitment to one's husband first in the order of duties, even more important than the love of one for one's children. The love for your spouse must be greater than the love for your children. And the reason for this is so that God's word would not have a bad name. Very countercultural today, as it was then. But the purpose of this is to set an example to the children. If the children never see in the, in the lives of their mom and dad a loving relationship, they're not go, they're not be, it's not being modeled to them. They won't know how to have a loving relationship with their spouse. The greatest of earthly gifts that God has given us, the love that's shared between Christian spouses, needs to be displayed before the children correctly. <laughs> Unless a child sees it, they're not going to be able to model it and replicate it in their own relationships. Younger women, just like the older women and the older men, are to control their tongues and their appetites. Self-control is linked to being pure. You know, no temptation. You're not going to be tempted anything that God is not going to give you the ability to overcome with his help. All the temptation we face is common man, and Jesus faced all the temptation, and he overcame it by the word of God, and we need to overcome our temptation. Self-control is linked to being pure. Older women are teaching younger women to work at home. Now, you might be saying, are you saying that women can't work? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that women couldn't or shouldn't work. Unfortunately, in our culture, sometimes that is required because of what we've done to our culture. I'm definitely not saying they should be barefoot and pregnant. That's not what I'm saying. That's a choice that the couple makes. It's not what Paul is saying. We err greatly when we sit and we, we take the we impulse impose our culture onto the word of God. The word of God says this. And we try to impose our culture onto it and say, no, that's wrong. The, the gospel is wrong because that's not what our culture says. But our culture is wrong. Modern debates, debates aren't going to be the answer to what's in Scripture. The emphasis is not on the location of a wife's work, but on being productive in normal occupations of the wife each day. There are some women who can, who can work and can maintain a household and love their family, and that's great. God gives them that ability. But the minute that that job causes strife and causes problems within taking care of the household, you have a problem. It's all about balance. Balance. 
Paul, without question, ranks a wife's obligation to care for her husband and children over her personal benefit and her personal fulfillment. If it's because you have to work, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem most of the time is most times we work, why? Because we, that's where we find our fulfillment. That's where we find our identity. I'm sorry, my identity is not in my job. I may be called pastor, I may be, I'm actually reverend, I'm ordained, but I, that's not who I am. I am a child of Christ. I am a child of God. That's my identity. That relationship comes first. Next comes my relationship with my spouse and my kids and my family and my church and my friends. Okay? There needs to be a hierarchy. We need to get these things understood. Just as a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church, not placing his own personal benefit or fulfillment over his wife. Any woman or man who makes a career status or financial advantage a greater priority than their life and the welfare of their marriage, their children, or their home, they transgress Scripture, as well as a heart that is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not casting judgment on anybody. If you come to me and say, hey, and you lay everything out and you say, Pastor, what do you think? I'm going to say, what's the Holy Spirit telling you? Because I can't judge you based upon me. But I can, base, I can judge you based upon the fruit. And you're telling me that this is a problem. This, there could be some issues here. And maybe some sacrifices need to be made. Or maybe even you can still continue to do all the things you're doing. But you just need to refocus on what's important. If your husband and your wife are struggling in the marriage, the answer is not to work harder at your job. <laughs> the answer is to work harder at your relationship with your husband or your wife. The wonderful message in these words of Paul to young women is what happens in the home as a result of a faithful Christian woman is a powerful tool for the progress progress of the gospel. The word of God is honored when men and women have their priorities straight. Now, it's interesting that Paul, I, I figure Paul would say, young, older men, younger men, older women, younger women. What does he say? He says, older men, older women, younger women. Then he says, younger men. I'm not sure. There's something to that. I'm not, I haven't quite figured it out. Here's what he says in verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teachings, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Just like the older women will have an influence on the younger women. The older men, in fact, the leaders in the church especially, the older men in the church are going to have a positive influence on the younger men in the church. Again, self-control needs to play a key role in the life of younger men in the church, and they should be be setting examples of what it means. And the leaders in the church, the older men in the church, need to set the example of what it means to be godly men. Self-control being very important. And self-control is very important to the health of the church. Because the world is going to attempt to tell us to seek after all the desires. You deserve, you deserve, you deserve. People say, well, they deserve that, you know, something good. I'm like, no, they don't. What do you mean they don't? They don't. You know what we deserve? We deserve death. And we're given life. Why? Because of the grace of God. Because we don't deserve what we have. We deserve death. We 
We are to be controlled by the gospel of Jesus Christ and not by our own desires. All this is important because it's important for raising a family. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6 tells us, train up a child on the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's why our children's ministry is so important. Our goal is to help parents. That's why Beth is, people say, why does Beth send emails all the time? Because. Why? Because she wants to help you raise your children. Our goal is to help you raise your children. Our goal is not just to babysit your kids down in the gym while while you're in here. Our goal is to help you raise them to be godly sons and daughters. That's our goal. So we're going to send you everything possible that we can get to you so that you can do it with our help and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The best teaching a child can have, though, is an example. And where does that example come from? Mom and dad. But we have to be intentional in what we teach our children. The book of Deuteronomy, God says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. I think the problem today in our homes is we don't talk about God enough. How much time do we spend in the Word? How much time do we spend in prayer? And men, I'm going to challenge you. You need to be the spiritual leaders of your home. Well, I don't like to pray. Well, you better learn how. And you better get used to it because that's your responsibility. When you stand before God, he's going to say, were you a good father? And what he was going to say is, were you a man of God? And did you lead your family well? Just because we're saved, just because we're redeemed, doesn't mean we're not responsible. We're still responsible for how we act. I challenge the men in this church and the men of all churches, you need to be the spiritual leader of your home. If you don't, if you don't know how to do that, we need to work on that. Let me know. I'll fi- we'll figure that out. Well, I'll tell you how to do it. I don't have it mastered yet, and I'll probably have it mastered when I'm standing before him. Paul makes it clear that godly responsibilities apply to all members of the Christian community. Even slaves. And I know we don't have slaves today, but this is, I think, I think of this more as workers. Verse 9 to 10, he says, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, which means not stealing, not showing all good, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. No one is excluded from the responsibilities of the community of the church and the community of God. We are all responsible from all the way from me as pastor all the way down to all the workers, everybody. No matter their social status. And while we don't have slaves today, these guidelines certainly do apply to those who are employed. So don't think about it as you know, workers, employees, to be submissive to their bosses. The gist of what Paul is telling us here is that we must not be hypocrites, presenting ourselves one way here and another way someplace else, acting different in the workplace amongst unbelievers than we do in the church among believers. The concern for reputation of the gospel is through all of this. It's about God's word having a good reputation. That idea must always be in our minds, no matter the context. Everything we do affects those around us. Everything. 
The older people are to touch, teach the younger. The more experienced in walking in Christ are to teach those who are young in their faith. Each of us have a role to, of making God real to someone else. We have to keep in mind that even if we cannot see the spiritual effect we have on others, it's there. It happens. We do have an influence on the walk of others. We must teach spiritual life, nourishment, and protection to those around us to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.